Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to another podcast. I'm pleased to announce our first guest, Sally Kelton, who is my amazing mother who has been through thick and thin with me, as you heard my story in the last podcast. Now we're going to hear from her side of things and we're going to have a conversation about a lot of the dealings and goings-ons of the last 18 years and get to the bottom of a few things and hopefully that'll help families out there that might be going through the same thing. So, hello Sally. Hello. (laughs) Um, So basically I'm going to ask her lots of questions and get her honest feedback and it's going to be raw. We haven't gone through this really. Um, So hopefully it will help any mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters out there and even someone suffering it may help you with helping your family support you along the way because I definitely asked my mum to do things that would help me along the way because I knew sometimes I was just an annoying kid. So the first question we're going to have uh, asked mum, I will refer to her as mum because she's my mum, is what were the first signs and symptoms that you thought something might be going on, whether it be at the time or in hindsight? In hindsight, I can see signs, but at the time... Shane was really moody and in year seven was complaining about being teased and was really upset about going to school and how what people were saying. In hindsight, he was probably overly sensitive and and moody, which were which are signs of um, depression, but they're probably also signs of uh, a, a moody teenager. Um, Shane being my first child, I just thought that you know, it was par for the course. Um, I had no idea. I've got a family member that suffers with depression and, and I still didn't even pick it up at the, at that age. And Shane was, you know, really good at hiding a lot of things. Um, you know, he'd have that smiley face on and, and you wouldn't know what was going on. Now I recognise it, um, but back then I, I didn't. Um so, and then as, as his teenage years went on, you know, when he got to about 17, I knew he was struggling. I, I could see I wouldn't have known whether to call it depression, even though that's only what 13 years ago. Um, it wasn't spoken about that much. And, you know, you didn't know what to look out for. And, um, but he was definitely, I knew he was struggling. That's funny because I didn't even know I came home and said that stuff when I was 13. I didn't have a clue. <laughs> so I'll probably learn a few things about myself here. So we've talked about um, how I was through that early high school ages. In hindsight, is there anything that maybe you would do better? Is there any advice you would maybe give to parents about what you could do better or what you could look for or anything like that? Uh, look, I, it is really hard. You know, Stephen didn't. Stephen was nowhere near as moody as you, but that could have just been that you're a moody child. So not every moody child has depression. So it's a really hard one to to try and work out. Um, you're really trying to read between the lines and you're playing a guessing game so much. I suppose, you know, listening to your, to your children and trying to find out more the more the more educated we are about these signs um the better off we are but 
you can't jump to conclusions. Just because you've got a moody child doesn't mean they've got depression. Just because a child's sad, it doesn't mean they have depression. Um, depressed people are often really, really good at hiding it until they're in real trouble. Um, so I remember in year 12, and I didn't speak about this in my last podcast, but in year 12, uh, yourself and Elise, who I spoke about in my other podcast, actually sent me to a school counsellor. Um, what was what was it that triggered that? You were really struggling in year 12. Um, you know, by that stage, you know, on a a weekend, you know, you were, you were out and you were drinking and I hated the weekends because I knew you were going to go and drink and I knew I was going to get phone calls. Um, Shane's got a lot of amazing friends and they would ring me and say, Shane's run off. We don't know where he is. We don't know what to do. We tried. You know, I don't know how many times some of them said, look, we're really sorry to ring you, but we just couldn't control him anymore. We just couldn't do anything. Um, and so I knew he was in trouble. Um, again, still, I still wouldn't have, I, I don't remember. Maybe I thought he had depression then. I can't remember. Um, and I, I actually stopped drinking when he was in his teenage years so that I could always be available to go and drive and go and find him. Um, uh, or sit up half the night just waiting. I'd also see Facebook statuses. Um, that might be my first sign. So I started to look out for Facebook statuses and my stomach would churn and then I'd be trying to contact Shane. Sometimes he'd just message me, sometimes he'd pick up, sometimes he just wouldn't um, and then I'd have to try and convince him to let me know where he was so that I could go and get him so that I knew that he was okay. So... There's obviously people out there that are suffering just like I was. Um, I guess what were the, some of the things that I did that actually made you feel more at ease through that period of time? What are things that you, you wish I did a little bit more of? I mean, obviously you wish I wasn't like that, but. Um, it, now, because you've done them as you were older, but back then you didn't, um, when you were feeling okay, um, when you were older, you'd start to tell me how I could help when you were bad because you knew the things that helped and I didn't. I learned through the teenage years to not ask questions and not talk to you unless you were ready to talk because you would remember we had some <laughs> massive fights because you would just fire. And um, Stephen used to get really upset um, and he'd actually give me a look when Shane would just blurt something out at me and Stephen knew that um you know I didn't deserve it um but he didn't understand that Shane couldn't control it and some of those things can be really hurtful um but but you've got to learn to to know that they don't mean what they're saying and I know Shane would blurt something out and then he would go away and he probably felt worse than I did and then that just compounded how he was feeling because now he was feeling guilty um, and I tried not to, to let him show that it was getting to me. I don't know whether it would have been easier if he knew 
it was getting to him? I don't think so. Um, but as the years went on, Shane, when he was feeling okay, um, and I'd learned some th- things myself, like when Shane walks in the door, we don't know what sort of mood he's going to be in. So let's just wait until he opens his mouth before we actually speak to him. Um, but as he got older and he was telling me, you know, sometimes he, he didn't need to talk. Um, he just needed to me to be in the house and then he felt safe. Um, and I have learned that, you know, wait for Shane to talk. Um, and then, you know, we can have a conversation. He's ready. When I say wait for him to talk, it didn't mean that I just would stay in silence. I would say something, um, but I just wouldn't, you know, ask prying questions. I wouldn't try and engage in conversation. I might just say, do you want a drink? And that might be it for half an hour, 15 minutes, whatever the case may be. Sometimes it might be five minutes. Sometimes it might be three hours. Sometimes Shane would go to his room and I wouldn't see him for a long time, but I would, you know, go in and check he was okay. Um, trying to think what else off the top of my head. Um, That's pretty good. <laughs> Nail on the head pretty much. Yeah, I know. So, I'll go on that. Obviously, some of this is really new to me as well. But I think the one thing that I do with mum and with other people is actually ask them to just be in the room or be in the house and stay in silence because that's the best thing for me. Personally, I don't know, like if I'm thinking too much, like I know irrational stuff's going to come out or if I'm not thinking at all, I'll get really frustrated with myself. And I still do that to this day if I'm really frustrated or really depressed, I, I do have those moments where it's just better if um, I'm in silence and um, it's the people closest to me that will get basically cop the brunt of it. So if you're a family member or a partner, unfortunately, <laughs> it's those people that are, are going to cop the brunt of it. But as mum said, I didn't mean all those things. Um, I don't even remember those things because at the time I felt so guilty, I'd basically suppress those memories because the guilt would then eat at me even more and I'd fall into a bigger slump. So um, that's something that I ask people to do around me and um, I actually ask for help a lot these days with my friends doing stuff. So same with mum. So I want to talk a little bit about when I tried to take my own life. Um, I want to know how the feeling of that was when you took the phone call. I can't remember who called you either. It might have been me. I remember talking to you. I don't remember. I think the Perth, the, the guy, that guy's house that you ended up at, um, he, I know he, I spoke to him, but I don't remember if it was on the phone. And this is going to sound really, really weird. I was obviously really shaken up, um, but it's going to sound weird because there was actually a sense of relief because I'd been waiting for that phone call for so long. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. My phone would ring and my stomach would turn over. I would see Shane's, I see Shane's name come up on the phone and my stomach turns over. My heart would start palpitating. Um, and when I heard Shane's voice, there was actually relief because I thought he's finally done it, but he's okay. Even though it was certainly never going to be, you know, the end of, you know, 
his depression. I knew that, but I, I suppose it's always that fear of you're going to get that phone call that you don't have your child anymore. And my phone call was that I still had my child. So there was some relief there. And then, of course, you know, every emotion under the sun comes into it. Um, and yeah, I was, I was pretty shaky, but then after the ambulance took him, um, I actually felt not relieved. I actually felt relaxed because I knew while he was in hospital that he was safe. And that was probably the first time in, I don't know how many years that I could actually sleep knowing that my child was safe and he was in hospital. So, but as I spoke about in my podcast, talking about my story, it was eight years that led to this point. There was no, no real, it was not a situation that happened. It was eight years of, I guess, pain. Is there any signs and symptoms for those out there that parents that might look for in their kids or ways that you believe that they can maybe keep that door open or keep that door ajar or is it just is it just simply that keeping that door ajar and allowing that conversation to happen i think you just have to always be there um i mean we are always there for our children but i think you just need to make sure that they know that you're there to support them you're not there to judge them um which we know we do, but we are more educated now and we need to talk about these things with our kids as well. Um, they need to understand, you know, that it's okay to speak up. If they're struggling, it's okay. You know, the world that we live in now is so fast-paced. There's so much pressure on kids. Shane in Year 12 put a huge amount of pressure on himself because he didn't know what he wanted to do when he finished year 12. And as he said, it wasn't one thing that made him want to take his life. It was, and it's actually not even a whole heap of things. It's in him and the things that happen um, just amplify everything. Um so, yeah, we need to listen to our kids. We need to um, make sure that we have the conversations, make sure that we really listen to what they're saying. Life's so busy, but we have to stop and listen to them. How important do you think it is for the parent to, and I didn't have this question down, but how important is it for the parent to almost set that example, to open up, to not be afraid to show that emotion nowadays because parents we see it a lot. They don't want to show emotion in front of the kids, but is it maybe time that we start changing that way? We start showing emotion. Uh, it's funny that you say that. Now that you have said that, I do remember sitting in our lounge room one day and um, something horrible had happened and I was worried about you and mm-hmm. Stephen and yep. Stephen was crying and you sat there and you just, you, the look on your face was like, black as thunder and you wouldn't say anything and I was just worried about you and you exploded and yelled at me because I was worried about you and I you and Stephen and this thing had happened to me and 
you said I should be thinking of myself. So maybe there is some truth in that. But, you know, my concern was the kids. It was you two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, like I, I understand people worry about their kids first. But um, for me, looking back, I think maybe if I was, and this is something we probably haven't really mm. spoken about before, but if I was shown that it was okay to have, like show emotion and be upset, maybe things might have been differently. I'm glad they aren't different because I'm here now. Um, but just for those others out there, the parents, like I think showing that emotion, that vulnerability allows that person to actually show it. Like because I see young mums and dads now not wanting to show emotion or that they're upset in front of a three-year-old. Like it's like the three-year-old, kids know anyway. <laughs> So yeah. you may as well be you. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I suppose I don't ever think that I really, I mean, I'm a crier. We know I'm a crier. Um, but I suppose the challenge is, you know, that balancing act. Um, you know, I was worried about Stephen. Steve, I didn't want Stephen to see me upset. Shane and I used to fight like there was no tomorrow. I thought it was that we were too similar and it was probably some of that. Some of that. You know, but you're trying to have a, a balanced household. And, yeah, if if we had to do it all again and I had the knowledge I had now, I'd probably do it differently. But I don't know what I would do differently mm. because every day is different and every child's different. Um, and, yeah, I, I think we can only just give people hints and, um, you know, explain how we felt and what worked for us and we're here. You know, one of the things is don't be hard. Don't be too hard on yourself. Um, you know, it isn't anybody's fault. And um, you know, I made lots of mistakes. Um, well, they're not really mistakes, but you know, along the way, learning how to deal with Shane, I did lots of things that didn't help him. Um, but I think I did a lot of things that did help him. But you know, that was a learning curve. I didn't know, you know, I would try something and I knew it didn't work because I'd get yelled at or something like that. Um, but yeah, you learn, you learn along the way. So I think personally, what, I think personally a big thing is having that role model that shows you that it's okay to do all that stuff. I think we're growing up in a world where you're told to toughen up and people won't show emotion, so you think it's wrong to show emotion. I think I probably didn't think, not just through parents, but through school and through sport and everything, I definitely felt that it wasn't okay to feel the way I felt and that I think that probably held me back a little bit. But I think being in the environment that, you know, you've got amazing friends, but, you know, you're around the footy club and around the cricket club and they're all macho and they're all tough. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, that showing emotion and one of your amazingly good friends um, who comes has always come across as a little bit of a smart ass and out there. And, you know, I remember his mum saying to me one day he was so sensitive and he would, you know, he would get really upset uh, at things that you wouldn't think he would have got upset at. Um, but I never saw that side of him and certainly Shane and his mates wouldn't have seen that side of him. Um, but some of the things that his mum told me about what would upset him, you know, really it was quite touching to know that he had such a soft heart because you wouldn't have known that. 
I know who you're talking about. We won't name his name. No, we won't. Um, so through all this, how did you stay healthy mentally? Do you think I'm healthy mentally? <laughs> well, you have your moments, but it's been 17 years. You couldn't have been really unstable for 17 years. I could have been. Uh, look, I think. Look, I think I've always been fairly rational anyway. Um, one of the things that I, I probably needed to do more of to keep myself a little bit more sane was actually speaking more about it. Um, nowadays it's easy to speak about depression. It's certainly easy because I've got Shane out there speaking about it as well. Um, but even going back, you know, 15 years, um, people didn't have anywhere near the understanding they have now. So people just thought sad people were depressed and depressed people were just sad and that wasn't the case. And people that haven't gone through this don't always understand um, and some people don't want to hear about it. Um, and so I didn't have that outlet to talk to my friends all the time about what was going on and about what I was feeling because they didn't really understand and I probably didn't want to burden them as well. Um, you know, nowadays I've got amazing friends um, and they are there for me 100%. Every single one of them I know that. And I know they would have been there for me then as well, um, but I don't think they would have had the understanding. Um, I did have, you know... Uh, my family uh, has been an amazing support because we do have family members that suffer with depression. So we'd already gone through a lot. So my family was obviously really support, very supportive and I could talk really openly about them even a long, long time ago. Um, one of the things that really did help me though is doing the things that I like to do, didn't matter what it was, um, trying to just get some downtime where i didn't have to think about everything else that I could just concentrate on something on me. Um, I couldn't even tell you what one of them is right at this very moment um, because it might have been something different, you know, one week to the next. Um, but making some time for yourself is really, really important. Cool, 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 cool. That was like a really sudden, abrupt ending there. I know. I was and trying to think like, what else. Bang. <laughs> um I think she's gone through our list pretty much, haven't you? She, Mum came in prepared today. She likes I wrote to be some, prepared. I did, did write some notes. I didn't want to come in and go blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, we wanted, we wanted, I wanted tears. No, you weren't um, going to get tears. I'm, I'm cried out at the moment. cried out at the moment. So, yeah. um, I have got a couple of other things on my list. What would you like to add? Let's, let's, I would like to add, um, well, to the people that are, are suffering with well, any sort of mental illness, um, try and speak up. Um, I know it's hard when you're not in a good state of mind to speak up, but when you do feel in a good state of mind, speak up, tell people that this is going on. Um, when you are bad, when you're really bad and you might run away like Shane used to run away um, and I know a lot of people do run away um, when they're suffering with depression um, and you'll get texts and you'll get phone calls from people and they're just worried and I know in your mind you've, you've got really irrational thoughts, just give that one little text back just so that they know that you're okay. It really does help them if you can let them know where you are. 
and they'll come and they'll get you um, and get you back to a safe spot. And that's like, that's really, really important that not knowing where somebody that you love is, not knowing if they're, if they're okay is really, really hard. Um, you know, nowadays I will text Shane if I know he's not well and he will just text, text me back. It, it doesn't matter if it's just like, um, you know, one word just so that I know he's okay. Um, and, and, you know, we know now he knows to contact me if he needs something from me. Um, and to the people that are, have, have a loved one or a friend that is going through this, um, and they're struggling, you know, it, it, it's, it is really hard. It affects your sleep. It affects your eat. It, it affects everything in your life. So you need to get support around you. Like it's so important. Um, you know, it might just be going out. You don't, mightn't even want to talk about it. Just grabbing a friend and going, having a coffee, you know, going down the park with your dog, whatever it is. Um, just, I, I've talked to my animals as well, but um, they understand me pretty well. Um, but use your support networks. It's really important. Just something I did remember. I think that's really great advice for everyone. I think what I see so often these days is when someone's supporting someone with a mental illness is they actually then really suffer themselves. And then you've got two people that are trying to support each other through it and it's just chaotic. So I think you've, it's really important that that, a supporter puts themselves first, except in those, like, I guess those situations which are really, really important because if you're not looking after yourself, how can you actually help that other person? And I think that's really vital going forward. And that's my advice to anyone, even if they're helping me, I think they should help themselves first. But there's a couple of things I just remembered that you did um, when I was struggling. You actually called Lifeline and Beyond Blue and then came and gave me the phone. Do you remember that? Oh, I actually remember. I remember actually and and a counsellor as well. And I had and no idea you, yeah. you were doing it. Yeah, I did and gave you the phone and you didn't have to talk, but you, all you had to do was listen. Yeah. But I think you did talk still. Yeah, it yeah. did. And that's what I didn't – I said I didn't want her to call or I'd say I didn't want to speak to anyone, but she actually made the phone call for me and was like, I've been speaking to them – and what she smartly did is she said, I called for myself, but they want to speak to you now. So it actually like, I didn't want to throw the phone back in, back at her. I thought I've got to just listen. Um, and then quite often spoke and those couple of times really helped me through that period of time. So that was something that else that mum did that really helped. Um, I see. I'd forgotten about that. And yes, you probably did want to throw the phone at me. Yeah, but I you, did. You <laughs> suppressed that. I'm not that physical. <laughs> not a physically violent person. Um, so that's it for the podcast. Basically, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you, the people, if you've got any questions for my mum or for me dealing with my mum or mum dealing with me, send them through to the email when it comes up um, in the outro. And what we'll do is in the future, we might run a couple more podcasts on more specific areas if the questions are there. So thanks for listening. I'll let mum go now. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, mm-hmm. everybody. And, yeah, if anybody needs help, 
Speak up. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13 1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V I T A L I T Y F I T T.com.au.